KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. Looks like we are getting closer to the return of professional sports here as we continue to work our way through the pandemic. Major League Soccer, NBA, both set to return to action next month. But what about college athletics? The fall will be here before we know it. What will that landscape look like come August and September? We wanted to talk about that, get a feel for what people are saying, what questions are being raised, and what can we expect come the college athletics fall season. So we reached out to Dr. Karen Weaver. She is an associate professor, Drexel University, LeBeau College of Business, the Center of Sport Management. Really interesting conversation. Give a listen. So we've talked a couple of times since the pandemic started, kind of focusing on college sports. Where are you right now from people you're talking to, what you're seeing, procedures that have been put in place? Are you feeling good? We'll see college athletics of some sort in the fall? Are you becoming more skeptical? Where are you kind of on that spectrum? If I was to describe my face when you asked me that question, I would say it's quizzical because I think every institution is right. Uh, This week is such a pivotal week for making decisions, whether it be having conversations with your board of trustees, having conversations with your faculty, getting estimates of what your budgets are going to look like for next year, Finding out in certain cases like New Jersey, for example, which has uh, the the governor has delayed the higher ed appropriations for three more months. And every every president is actually putting all of their thoughts and their their pros and cons and their strategies onto a single piece of paper and saying, "Okay, what are the risks we're willing to assume? And the conversation has gone from, yes, we'd like to. We plan to. And now the rubber hits the road and they're going to have to say, yes, we will or no, we won't. Do you think it is going to be kind of a staggered picture depending upon conference, sport, region, stuff like that? My sense is that the conference will have some um, say in it, especially in the in the power five conferences, that they will all try to work to create what they call a level playing field so that every program has the opportunity to win a conference title and I'm talking football right now because I think that's less true in the in the non-revenue sports. But I think at the Division II and Division III level, I think they're really relying on institutions making the best choices for themselves. They just don't have the economic power to be able to ask for an umbrella type of a decision. In people you talk to, and I know you're plugged in as a former coach, former AD, did people a couple months ago appreciate how big the challenge was because of how many different aspects of everyday life were going to have to be examined. And what have you heard back from people as far as, you know, because it's everything, it's team meals, it's travel, it's where the the kids going to stay. How many, how many teams can be in the training facility at a time? How are we going to stagger all this with social distance class? It's a lot. Do you think there was at first it was more just a, oh, we'll find a way. And now it's kind of, oh boy, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you're right, Matt. I think, I think in the beginning, you think athletics people are in, inherently positive. We can get this done. You know, they just feel like no problem is insurmountable uh, until this. And, and that's where you really have to sit down and say, what can we do? 
And then you have to figure out, I think, where you can push on the edges to get some relief on the structures to try to execute that plan. I'll give you an example. Does the NCAA require every school at the, before this pandemic to play a certain number of games against other schools like them? Does the conference require you to have a certain number of games to qualify for their postseason? Yes, that's been the truth in the past. But there has been a willingness to have some flexibility in those guidelines now because of the, the financial situation that so many schools find themselves in. So it's not a bad thing for a conference to say, instead of uh, everybody playing everybody, maybe we'll create an Eastern division and a Western division and you only play the schools that are close to you to be able to save money, save exposure and be able to manage, manage the, uh, the expenses. Conversely, you might find some other conferences and say, you know what, we're going to make it work. If we have a nine game football season, we'll make it work with five games. Uh, and that way we're, we can push it back to later. Maybe we can start later in September um, I'm hoping that conferences are considering these options and not letting the restrictions of NCAA rules and their own conference guidelines uh, limit their choices in this period of time. What do you think if you had to, if we had to put them in piles that are the biggest hurdles to overcome financial health and safety and basic bureaucracy, <laughs> which one is the, the highest mountain to climb? in our current situation? Well, I go back to the term of what fiduciaries are, right? A president is a fiduciary, a trustee is a fiduciary, which means they are responsible for all the financial risk management, et cetera, et cetera. You've never been put in a position before where trying to take care of those directives of which you are responsible to do that could impinge upon the safety and health of your students, your faculty, and your staff. So that tension that exists right now between those two areas is very real. And no matter which way you turn, you feel like you're going to make a wrong decision. I think the bureaucratic part takes a, a less of a backseat because you get permission to operate in, inside this pandemic mode type of thing. But I also know that colleges and universities are asking Congress for safe harbor right now. They're asking them to give them relief from any liability claims or, or even lawsuits that might happen because they've had to make decisions in such a compressed window of time that can have longer range uh, impact than they're anticipating. Doesn't mean they won't get sued. They will. But it just gives them better leverage if they, when it comes down to defending themselves in court. How much of this is also schools have to programs? I, I think you have to determine how many setbacks you're willing to deal with. Like you get, say you bring a team in in the fall and second week of practice, two kids get sick. Obviously you're quarantining them, but is everything shut down for two weeks? Do you, are you going to go until somebody gets, you know, maybe not even sick, just gets, you know, tested positive and such. Is that something you think will be universal or will different schools have different, uh, different kind of baselines for when, all right, we can't go any further. So I think I hear you asking two questions. So hopefully every school realizes the, the, the importance of testing, following up on that testing, and then if they need to quarantine, they quarantine and they follow the guidelines. I've heard some schools say they're only going to quarantine for seven days. Other schools are going to quarantine for 14. 
I can see that being a point of um, anxiety for coaches who are saying, hey, that's not fair. I have to keep my, my guy or my gal out much longer than the other team. So having a consistent set of guidelines to follow must emanate from the state's health department. Uh, the NCAA has provided very loose guidelines, but they are deferring to federal, state, and local officials. I asked this question after Purdue President Mitch Daniels uh, testified in front of a Senate hearing last week where he said, you know what, if we start to see a spread within a football team or a soccer team, we'll just shut it down. There was no definition of what he meant by shut it down, but you could infer from the conversation that he just said, we'll just stop practicing. And there was no then further thought about where we go from there. But his reaction was, the first thing we'll do is protect the health and safety of our, our student-athletes. And I, I think that's a good place to start. Alabama, Auburn, uh, Tennessee, Oklahoma State have had already players show back up that are COVID positive. Um, I'm, I'm concerned that we're not going to get as many accurate numbers because schools aren't going to want to necessarily start sharing these numbers. But what to me, the question I ask is, what is the magic number for a team before you say, you know what, that's too many? I don't know. Yeah, that was that's one of the things, because I hear specifically with a lot of the pro people, pro sports, you hear them talk about, oh, well, they're coming back and then they'll do three weeks of this and and they'll start on July 31st and they're going to have a tournament. And, and it's all great and all, but you just kind of wonder all these plans are put in place with the idea that nobody's getting sick, that everything just proceeds in a straight line and, you know, we get back to some semblance of normal and and you don't hear, and I understand why, but I guess it's just, what is your tolerance for setbacks with stuff like this? Is it one one kid testing positive is too much? or Because I think if you want college football and, you know, damn the torpedoes, we're going to have college football, you can have college football. But I just wonder if that tolerance for setbacks, if I'm making sense, is going to be universal or if you're just going to have kind of a piecemeal thing. I wonder the same thing too, Matt. I mean, uh, you know, it could be that let's say the magic number is if 10, 10 players on a football team, so that's roughly 10% of the team becomes infected. Is that the magic number? Well, for one team, it might be 10 reserves for the, for another team, it could be 10 starters. So do we have a different, do we have a different um, uh, scale for depending on what kind of playing time they get? I mean, it's fraught with all kinds of ethical and moral issues and I think I don't think I've read of anybody who's gone out and said, this is the number we'll have to hit before we'll shut the program down. Um, you know, but I think in the middle of July, a month from now, we'll probably know a lot more. One thing we talked about in one of our previous conversations was the possibility for financial reasons. We see programs shuttered, maybe entire athletic departments shuttered. And we have seen it, but it actually hasn't been nearly as widespread as I thought it would be and i wonder do you think we have weathered that storm to this point or do you think we are still in the midst and we could still see an avalanche of of programs uh, shut down as schools get a better financial picture of what the fall is going to look like yeah i think we're still in the middle of it and i'll tell you why there's there's something known in higher education enrollment called the summer melt which is typically kids who, who commit who pay the deposit to come 
then for whatever reason, they just melt away and they go other places or they decide to do other things and they never show up on your campus. We're still very much in that window of trying to figure out who is actually going to show up on our campuses. And that's what's been so difficult for for uh, colleges to try to plan what does our number look like now? Well, it might look like this in June, but it could like look like this in August. So, but I think the, the old adage of you don't know until you try is definitely school's mantra at this point, because if they don't try, they'll feel like they've just given up, given up. And that's just not the way higher education operates. We've touched on a lot here. Are there any topics of, of concern that you're keeping an eye on with regards to the future of college sports that we haven't touched on yet? The only thing I think I would mention, Matt, is I really do think that this issue of the cost of testing, how quickly testing can be turned around, and who's paying for testing, it, it still hasn't been really addressed, at least in in the not so much the Power Five programs, but the mid-majors, the D2s, D3s, because those athletes are going to have the same exposure possibilities as the Power Five athletes will. But will, will they not be tested as frequently because the school just simply can't afford it or their insurance plan won't pay for it? So those are things, the inequities that I'm paying attention to because I think you know, the athletes shouldn't be put more at risk because their school has less funds, if you know what I mean. And kind of going along with that, something I've wondered, and does this fall under any kind of NCAA regulation or anything like that? Say I'm a wealthy alum of School X, and instead of giving 100000 to the basketball program, I say I'm going to pay for COVID-19 testing for your entire fall semester. Could I, as, an, as a private citizen, is that something that would be allowed? And... Do you think that is something we could see, maybe specifically at the the larger schools where it's just a wealthy donor writes a check to cover COVID-19 testing? I think that's absolutely possible. And I read about something, uh, I don't think it was for athletics, but I read about something like that yesterday, where I think they made donations to cover the part of the student body. But you also have some of these larger schools that have robust public health and, and medical campuses that are actively trying to create solutions for their own students. So I think it was University of California, San Diego, that literally is developing tests so they can use them for their students in the fall. They just decide to focus inward versus focusing outward. So yeah, they have a tremendous advantage at that point because, hey, we can take care of our students in-house. We don't have to go outside. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. Music.